Today we're talking about uh, awaiting his return, the return of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the second coming of Jesus. And of course, as Carol has already said, this is the last message in our current series. And so far this year, since the start of this year, we have been talking about our purposes. What are we here on earth for? What did God intend for us for our lives living on earth? Did he have something in mind? And of course, the God who who lived millions and, you know, an eternity before we ever stepped foot on the earth, before we were ever born, has many purposes and plans for us. And we need to learn what they are. And one of them is so crucial, especially right now, more than ever, is to await the return of Jesus today. I don't want to just talk about theories of how and when many Christians have gone wrong. We're trying to predict when. I don't think you can. But the, the core of it, the core of the message of the second coming is one of the central themes of the whole Bible, both the New and Old Testament, is that Jesus is coming again and we are to live our lives awaiting him. Not just looking for the signs, but awaiting him himself. There's a big difference between just coming up with theories and dates and keeping your eyes on Jesus. It's central to who we are, essential to the everyday life, to our everyday existence, how we live our lives before God. It's not something that's a side issue. It's not something that maybe one day, perhaps, or whatever, no matter when you lived, even if you lived 100 or 200 years ago, this message still matters because the world as we know it and everything you see is heading towards a new heaven and a new earth. And like the song says, till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I stand. So until he returns or until I die, that is where things are going, right? And so it's so core. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, both as perfect as each other, both as wonderful. The old former things will be done away with, our sin-stained existence, our, our, the life, the things we know, the sorrow, the sin, all of it will be done away with for a new and better reality. And we need to ensure that we live there, that others live there, that everyone is given the chance to hear the message of the kingdom. You know, we talk about preaching the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the kingdom. That's what the gospel is. It's the whole message. It's the whole picture. So what about the people you know? What about the people you love? What about you? Nothing is more important than the coming kingdom of God. Nothing is more important than your soul and that you, soul, body, will enter into that new heaven and new earth. And I've mentioned that there are different theories about the second coming of Jesus, but I don't want to go into them today. It's not what the Lord's put on, on my heart. So he wants just to get our our, our, our mind, our, our eyes, our thoughts back on what it means to await his return. And so when we're talking about the second coming of Jesus, you know, we as Christians, this is a, a statement from our uh, denomination, Elim, is that we believe in the physical and visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ to rule, to reign in power and glory. Okay, 
So that is the statement. There's different theories of how that's going to come about, but that is what we believe. And of course, when you look into the Bible, no one knows the day or the hour when that is coming. Jesus said in uh, Matthew uh, chapter, uh, chapter 9, different places as well, that no one will know the hour. My scripture's gone weird here at the bottom, but it should be Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 and 42, where it says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. And verse 42 later on says, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Okay, so no one knew Jesus uh, on earth, uh, even though he was God in the flesh, limited himself of this information. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, like like our death, like, you know, the fact that we don't know when we'll die, there's the mystery surrounding when it will happen. And so I, I think it's good that Jesus or, or the Bible never really told us exactly when, because just like our lives, you know, if we knew we were going to die tomorrow, we'd act differently. But the reality is you could die tomorrow or you could die in 50 years. And you need to live for both realities. You need to live ready in your soul and your mind that you could be called to into eternity today, tomorrow, very soon. But it could be longer term. And so God wants us to have both that short term view and long term at the same time. So much about the kingdom of God is now and not yet. There's something now, but there's something not yet that's still to come. And we need to live in the tension of, of both of those realities. And so what I want to look at to you today, I want to look at what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel in particular. And I want to look at at the Olivet Discourse. So this is when it's a long uh, section of scripture. I won't look at all of it. I just want to summarize some of it with you today and give you the main points that you need to know. But it's called the Olivet Discourse and it spans uh, over, well, really from Matthew chapter 24, but particularly from the end of chapters, uh, chapter 23, merging into chapter 24 right to the very end of Matthew chapter 25. So that big chunk of scripture. And of course, after that, Matthew 26, Jesus is betrayed and crucified and, and resurrected. But this is really his last big message, his last big sermon in Matthew's gospel. In John's gospel, it's it's the uh, the high priestly prayer, in, you know, John 14 to 17. But the focus of Matthew's gospel is what's coming uh, at his second coming. And um, you could call that his eschatology, okay, the the eschatological view. Now, don't get put off by that term. That just means study of the coming kingdom, okay. And um, so it's a good a good word to add to your vocabularies, eschatology, the study of the coming kingdom. And so you can see that Jesus speaks of the end of the age right through Matthew chapter 24. And then there's four back-to-back -back parables that all have a central message, but they all have kind of slightly different emphasis uh, in each message. Okay. And you put them all together and you get what Jesus is trying to tell us. Some people would argue that these are specifically for um, Israel, um, especially in the end times. But I, I think that as you read it, there's, there's definitely 
the word of God for everyone um, who is living their life for uh, for Jesus Christ. Some people say, look, this is just for Israel uh, in the end times. But, you know, he's talking about the kingdom of God. So this is applies to everyone as well at the same time. And uh, anything in eschatology in particular, there's always so much back and forth of, is it this, is it that? But today, I really want to get to what Jesus is saying through these combined parables. But particularly what I want to look at with you today is the parable of the talents. Now, talents, it doesn't mean, you know, like Britain's got talent, you know, having talent. <laughs> okay. Talents are coins. It's a story of... Uh, a man who goes on a journey and he puts his servants in charge uh, over his property. Okay. Now before that, there's of course the parable of the faithful servant, the evil servant. The message of that is that the master went away for a long time, very similar to the parable of the talents, but there was an evil servant and there was a wise servant. One was faithful to the master, but one showed that actually when his master wasn't around what he was really like. And then the master comes back and there's judgment. Okay. Then there's the wise and the foolish virgins. Okay. And this is a story that Jesus tells of there being five wise virgins, five foolish virgins. Okay. And there's 10 of them all together, of course. And five are ready for the bridegroom. Okay. Representing Jesus to come and, and marry them or invite them to the wedding. It's not 100% which one it is because they're just five virgins or five brides. It could be seen. So is it five bridesmaids? Who knows? But there's but basically it's a picture of believers. Some are ready, some are not. And that story emphasizes the, the, the fact that Jesus could come back at any time, but also being ready all the time. Just like the parable of the faithful and the evil servant, the parable of the talents, which I'm going to look at with you now, is like that as well. And then after that, Jesus kind of summarizes them all together in the parable of the final judgment. What I want to read through today, this is the scripture I want to expand with you today, is the parable of the talents. So if you want to look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, I'm going to put them on the screen now. And so this is the parable of the talents, and I'm going to bring you what Jesus is saying out of this okay so for it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property to one he gave five talents to another two to another one to each according to his ability then he went away he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more so also he who had two talents made two talents more but he who received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who'd received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you've delivered me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Now, before I read the, the last bit of this, notice that the response 
to both the one who had five talents, who got a return investment of five talents, gets the same response as the one who had two talents and had an investment return of two talents as well. So it's quite interesting to note that, uh, especially for something else I'm going to be sharing with you later on. And then reading from verses 24 to 30, it says, He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents, for to everyone who has will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be gnashing and weeping. So there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so that's Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, read from ESV translation. And of course, the main point of this parable, okay, is that we, as servants of the master, representing Jesus in this story, representing God, will give an account to him. We will give an account to him one day. Many, many, many times in the Bible, it says that we will give an account to him. And Jesus puts these stories, this story and the other parables, right after what he talks about the second coming. So the second coming, how it happens in Matthew 24, we can read that in your own time. And he's saying, this is what you need to know. This is how you need to think. This is how you need to live your life now. And Jesus through these parables that make you think, that contain truth, that make you have to think about what he's saying and dig into the meaning. These are what he's chosen to to say to us. And the main point of this one, the main emphasis of this parable is that we will give an account to God. In fact, in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Many other scriptures like that. We will each give an account to God. Now you might think, but I've been saved. I've been born again and I've escaped the wrath of God. And these scriptures don't negate that. They don't contradict that. That is still true. And we've talked about this before at One Church and in several different ways. And there's there's two different types of judgment um, for believers and for non-believers okay but there's still judgment it's a different kind you see the unbeliever will will be judged uh, under the wrath of god but we'll be judged on what we did and in terms of uh what level of reward we will receive when when we enter so don't get me wrong, you cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot do good things to get your way to heaven. And Jesus never says that and never indicates that. But we are called to live as though we will give an account to God. Anyway, even though we've been saved, 
even though that we've been forgiven. And the amazing thing about this parable is that you could apply this to the believer and the non-believer. And of course, what Jesus is saying through the parables, when you combine them, is that it's not always 100% clear who is a true believer and who isn't, especially the final parable about the sheep and the goats, when he talks about how he will separate the sheep from the goats. So there's the sheep who represent the true believers, the true converts, and there's the goats. And, you know, the average person, Middle Eastern goats, they kind of, and sheep, they look almost the same, but only a true and wise shepherd can tell the difference between the two. And that's the same with Jesus. You know, some people might look as though they're saved. They look as though they are in, um, but their lives don't show it. There's no fruit. We've talked about this before. Their, their lives don't show it. And Jesus talks many times about how it's the fruit of our lives that will that show, not make us a believer. You know, we don't make ourselves good, but it's the fruit of salvation being outworked within us that show these things. Okay. And there's many scriptures that talk about that, but believer or non-believer will all give an account to God. Make no mistake. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because we think sometimes, well, well, I'm just forgiven of everything. And and you are. And God will not raise those sins again. But he doesn't want you to just not sin. There's things he wants you to do in life as well. And so it's it's so important that we, that we remember. Because for unbelievers, there's, and for people who maybe thought they were believers, but their lives didn't show it. And it was proved that they were not believers. The end, very end of Matthew chapter 25, it talks about how they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And Jesus in, in that same scripture, I wish I'd added it now, but it talks about how hell is for the devil and his angels. Okay. And it talks about those who are entering judgment in terms of eternal punishment are going to the place made for the devil and his angels. People think, why did God make hell for people or for people he didn't like? It's not like that. God doesn't want anyone to go to, to hell. He wants everyone to be with him. But if we carry out the, the desires of the devil, if we carry out the desires of sin, and we do not have the life of God in us, we do not have eternal life in us, we will go to that place. You will go to that place. And what you have to think about is, I'll come back to that later, but I want to get back to this story in Matthew chapter 25 for a moment, because you might think from what I've said that God's just out to get us. God's just trying, he's waiting for us to fail. He wants, you know, then he can punish us. It is not like that. God wants us to succeed. He wants us to be in right relationship with him. He wants to receive what he's worthy of. We've talked about he, how he's worthy of it all and from him and to him are all things. And he deserves what he deserves. You know, he deserves that our lives live for his glory, that 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 we, we live for him, that we called him into our lives, that we lived as, as his children. And of course, that's only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. 
and think about what the master says to both the servant who had the two talents and the one who had the five talents who both got a return. He said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been, you've been faithful. Look how many times he says faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Isn't that amazing? God wants us to succeed. God wants to us to enter into the joy of his master. You know, there's so many times where Jesus in particular talks about living for eternity, living for heaven. And, you know, we think about the rewards that we'll enter into. We sometimes think, oh, it's going to be like a mansion or it's going to be gold or silver. What about this verse? You're entering into the joy of your master. You know, when your your parent is is so proud of you for what you've done, you know, they might give you a sticker or a reward if you're a child, you know, but it's what what's the amazing thing? It's that affirmation, it's that, oh, well done. You made me proud. You did what you were meant to do. You know, and God gave us our lives so that we could give them and invest them for his glory. That we don't just kind of exist through life. That through our lives, through what God wished for us, what he put us on the earth for. We talked about our purposes and how they're all to bring glory to God. He wants us to do all of those things and he will receive glory. He will receive more than he even gave. He gave you your life. He gave you the five talents, the two talents. You might think, I've not got a lot in my life. I've not got, you know, so much. I've not got as much as that person. And what this scripture shows is that it's not about how much you have. It's about what you do with what you have. You know, we've got our eye on the, 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 the man giving the big donation, all right, and boasting about it. But God has got his eye on the widow who had the two coins. And it's all, they ha- all she had left, and she put it in. And Jesus goes, she was the generous one today. You know, this is who God is. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at you. He's looking at the response to, to truth, to righteousness. And he wants to reward us. He doesn't want to come back and find us unprepared. He doesn't want to come back to the world and and find that people do not have faith in him, have not been trusting in him, have not been walking in his ways. He doesn't want that because he doesn't want to punish. Just like a parent doesn't want to punish their children, but they have to. And of course, it's much deeper than that in the Bible. If you think about scriptures like this, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him you have no idea how good it will be how worth it it will be that you loved him that you lived for him you know it'll be you'll get a a, you know you invest in your life in what god's asking you to do now and what you do in this life echoes for eternity i'm quoting gladiator there what we do in life echoes for eternity and in god it really does and so are you living for him or are you playing games? Are you living as if he'll come back and you'll give an account to him? Or are you living as if he won't come back? Because even if you believe it or not, he will come back or you will die. And in either way, either, you know, if you die or he comes back, you'll get to the same point of giving an account to him. If you're a believer who's trusted in him, he will reward you according to what you've done. If you are 
an unbeliever and you've not then he will he'll punish you for what you for what you did and you know you knew better according to god there's no excuse and god will judge everyone exactly in the way that he seems fit now we're talking about the second coming and people think well is he coming again you know people have been talking about it and you know that's why i've not talked about any theories or dates at the moment because we can get lost in all of that i i'm showing you a couple of books on the screen or a few resources from back in the 20th century the previous century of you know 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988 and so on and all these different theories and and really sometimes they just miss the point a lot of this because you know jesus is telling us that yes he could come back imminently but he may be some time as well he may be you know he may not come for another 50 years some of you are thinking there's no way i know i'm sure he'll come back within the next 10 years now my personal opinion is i think he will come in this century for, for sure i think the way things have gone the signs of the times but other people have thought that in other centuries as well and they were wrong and we just don't know and jesus is saying you don't know when the master will just come back but he will but the point is that he will you know and so he has something to do with our lives like like i talked about at the start you know if we were to if we were to live knowing when we're going to die we would live differently but the truth is you don't know when you're going to die so you need to live ready to die okay you need to live ready to die today and you need you need to live ready as if you're gonna live till you're 120 and uh you know and either way both of those tensions together determine how you live i mean think about this so many people in the church have not prioritized talking about things like the environment or global issues and because well jesus will just come back but it's not the way to live and jesus has never called us to live that way in an irresponsible way i mean what about climate change and there's different theories about if it's us causing it and so on most scientists think it is but you know even if you weren't to go to climate change itself you know our climate has changed our world has changed because of us no doubt to what extent we're not even sure but pollution plastic you know even we had a conference in february talking about um having a theology of of the environment and so on and developing that better than we have done in the past because you know in the past it was always been jesus is just going to come back well um let's not worry about those things and we have to worry about those things we have to think about these things at least think about this if you are pro-life which i am i'm sure most of you will be as, as christians watching today if you're worried about the, the woman in carrying the child in the womb do you know that umbilical cord the umbilical cord of any child living in our culture today is full of toxins from the from the outer environment heavy metals mercury okay and so if we care about the unborn then we will care about the environment because it has an effect on them on a much higher rate than it does on uh, fully fledged adults with an, a built immune system okay so these things matter now and god you know and sometimes because of a theology we've had of the second coming we don't care about these things and we must care about these things not just for the now but for the future and so 
And so we'll maybe be talking about that more as we go along in other weeks. But think about the master here. He has a motorbike going past. Okay. I'll have to close that window. Excuse me. Okay. Sorry about that. So you can see here that the master, okay, the servant had a particular opinion on the master, that he was a hard man, that he was someone who was just, I don't know, someone to be avoided. And that's not who God is. God is not someone to be avoided, nor can he be avoided. You know, we need, we need to live as if he's real. You know, it says in the Bible that it's impossible to please God without faith. Okay. And God wants us to have faith. He doesn't want us to just be hiding away from him. And it reminds me of, you know, Adam and Eve, when I read the words here, you know, I was, I was afraid. So I hid, you know, you can see those words here. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did when they sinned. The, the shame came and the sin came and they saw God in a different way. They saw themselves in a different way. And that's what sin does. Sin separates you. Sin is a lie. Sin, the temptation to sin is the lie that you need to be distant from God, that you need to just, just kind of think God isn't there, you know, and, you know, even things like atheism and things like that, it's just to try and get away from God. I don't want to have to think about God. I, I just want to have to just, but think about what, what happened in the end when the, when the master comes back in this story, what's his experience of hell? Okay, because there's the real element of hell coming into this parable and it's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, what does that mean? Regret, pain of just, it could have been different. I could have lived for God. I could have stopped being so stubborn and just followed Jesus. I could have just, you know, and is it possible that Christians who are saved and born again can have regrets in heaven? Let's not find out because let's think about it. What did Paul say? You know, I live, I'm going to live as if I, I'm going to live, you know, running the race and, you know, making sure that I made the best of life, that I did all the things God called me to do. That's how we need to live. And if you don't know him, then you need to come to him. You need to serve him. You need to love him and you need to say sorry and repent. Think about so many scriptures, you know, sometimes we think we're good or everyone's good, but you know, the fool says in his heart, there is no God, you know, and think about this. If there's no God, people come corrupt. Their deeds are vile. All have turned away and become corrupt. That's what, that's what it says in Psalm 14. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So you see here that none of us are good in ourselves. None of us can be good and attain righteousness and attain salvation through just being good because in our sinful state, we're not good. We, we need God, but once he's in, then we need to walk with him and, and really give him, you know, give him back the life he called, there's a great preacher called Todd Bentley. And he says, is the life you're, you're, you, sorry, not Todd Bentley. So sorry, Todd White. He talks about, is the life that you are living worth the price that he paid? And that is a big question because we're going to give an account to him. We're going to give an account and we need to fear him. You know, 
We can't just have a belief in God. We need to fear him in the right way. The servant didn't fear him the right way. He was just afraid of God and hid. But we need to we need to fear God, live with the fear of God. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Okay, that's from Proverbs chapter 9. So there's a fear that we need to have of God that's a reverence, a respect, a, a no messing attitude with him that doesn't hide from him, it comes to him knowing that we need him. And there's a very big difference. And so when I look at this scripture and when I look at things that have happened in the last 12 months, there's a lot of things that have been hard in the last 12 months for me personally, for things I've found out about and things that have happened and it's been hard and I've tried to never let those things be an excuse for not giving God the glory that he deserves to not give God my best, to not, you know, give him what he deserves and, and, and live for him and worship him and glorify him. You know, it's so important that I know that I need him every day, that you know that you need him every day. And there was one story that really hit me so hard this year, um, this year, 2021. And that was about Ravi Zacharias. Now I won't go into detail about everything about this man, but he was an evangelist. He was an apologist. He would defend the Christian faith in the academic sphere. You know, he was always referred to as Ravi's, Dr. Ravi Zacharias. He was a, an expert, really, in in Christianity. You know, it, a lot would call him. He wrote over, wrote over thirty books, had a, I think over forty years of ministry, and he died last year. And he went to his death a hero, a Christian hero. And there was something seriously wrong with this man, and we didn't know about it until this year when reports came out of his misconduct with the opposite sex. And the more that came out, the worse we realized it was. And this is a man who knew. This was a man who knew about God, who knew the Bible, who taught the Bible, but lived as if he wasn't even real. Because the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You know what that scripture means? Let me go back. Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Ravi combated atheism probably more than anyone else in terms of intellectually defending it, you know, against the onslaught of liberal theology and atheism and all these things. So you'd never call him an atheist, okay? And at the time the Psalms are written, okay, 3,000 plus years ago, most of them, you'd never find anyone who didn't believe in God. You have to go very, very far to find someone who didn't believe in God. And so when it says the fool says there is no God, doesn't mean they don't intellectually believe there is a God. It just means they live as if he isn't there. They, they live as if there's going to be no judgment. That I will not give an account to my life. And one of the things of Ravi that was said in an interview I watched this week, I watched it very late at night because I've actually, I was actually troubled by this whole thing with him because 
he was one of the people I looked up to as as someone who was an apologist and uh, gave such. I mean, God used him. There's no doubt through what he did, and it, it's just so. It was. It's, I mean, someone you know, someone who you thought who was one of the best people alive turned out to be one of the worst people alive. It's a huge shock. So I was watching an interview with other people who are equally shocked as me. And and one of the things that was said about him was that he just lived with no accountability. He lived with just answerable to no one, you know, and he was the top of a, a multi-million dollar ministry and answered to no one. And he could get away with things. And that's a big problem. You know, so accountability in this life, being accountable to other people, your wife uh, and people that you know and love and trust is so important because then you won't have to give that account to God one day. You can settle those accounts right before he comes, before you die. And I'm not saying Ravi's in hell for definite, but I wouldn't want to be him on Judgment Day. Let me tell you that because think about what. Jesus said in Matthew chapter to seven, he says, by, by their fruits, you'll recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You can, be, you can claim to be a Christian, but by the fruits, you'll know who, who really is, who's really walking with God, who, who's living as though they're going to give an account to God one day. You can do things for God and God can use you. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7. But these things don't make you right with God. I've seen people healed by the power of God. I've seen, I pray for people and seen things happen. And if I came to God and say, God, God, look what I did for you. I've missed the point because it's all about what he did for me. He died on the cross for me to pay my sins. I've never healed anyone. I've never done wonders. I've never prophesied just by the power of Sam. I've prophesied by the power of God and God used me. And I can never use that on the day of judgment and say, well, I did this for you. No. Lawlessness, hiding from God, living that foolish life that you're not going to give an account to him. I know this is a serious message today, but that is a serious message in Matthew chapter 25 and, and <laughs> the most of the Bible. We're going to give an account to him who will judge the living and the dead. Are you ready to give an account? Christian, are you living your life to glorify him? Yes, you're saved if you're walking with him in faith and, and, and repenting of your sins. But are you doing the things he's called you to do? That's been what I've been wanting, what the Lord's been wanting to, to, to ask us all again in, this, in these last couple of months. Are you doing the things? He wants you to enter the joy of your master. And so I want to finish with this one scripture. This is 2 Peter chapter 1. And this is about how we're to live. You know, it was said about Ravi. He was the last person I'd ever expect to do what he did. That's what I heard 
Josh uh, McDowell saying, one of his close friends and partners, none of us can be righteous and good and give God the glory and the worth he deserves just through our power. We need him. And so I want to read this and it talks this is a scripture where it talks about his divine power has given us everything we need god has given us everything we need for life and godliness and then it goes on to say this is what you need to do for this reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. That's from 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through to 11. He wants us to be mindful of his second coming, that it could come today, that it could come in a long time and he wants us to do those things he's called us to do and live knowing that we will give an account to him and the way to live your life ready to give an account is to have faith that's step one you can see from there you have faith and you keep yourself in the love of god you grow in all of these qualities that god endows to you are you saved through you no you're saved by what god about the grace of god but to keep you from walking from god clearly rabbi Clearly along the way, he just lost the fear of God. He may have even kept loving God, right? But if you don't fear God, if you don't live for him in the fear of God, and you stop growing in your self-control and your godliness, your goodness, you've, you've become something that you were never meant to be. And so... I want every one of us, I want every single one of you watching today to receive that rich welcome. And I want you to live for eternity. I want you to live storing up treasure in heaven as well. That you could say, we looked after the planet, that I did my part in the th all the things you called me to do. The treasure of my family, that I invested in my wife my children my husband whoever i invest they are the treasure we always think about gold and mansion and things the treasure is what he's given to us to look after the things he's asked us to do that he would receive what he is worthy of through all of the actions of our lives let's give him what he deserves and let's live enter into entering into that rich welcome of the eternal kingdom that is so important we need to await his return in an active holy manner and in so will bring glory to god 
And so thank you for listening today. And I just want to pray just before we carry on, just for anyone who wants to make that decision. If you feel like you've been like that servant who's been hiding their coin in the ground, if you've been hiding from God, if you're like putting your life in the ground and not giving it to the investing it for the glory of God, I want to pray for you because if you know, if you're sensing the fear of God today, if you're sensing there's things I just need to get right, it is not too late right now. There will be a time, Jesus is saying, when it will be too late, but it is definitely not too late now. If you've been in an adulterous relationship, if you are in one, if you are doing things you know you shouldn't be doing, if you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, if you are just compromising, come on, we're going to give an account to him. And he doesn't want us to fail. He wants us to win. He wants us. He wants to bless us and he wants to thank us and he wants to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He is not out to get you. He is for you. He's for you. So I just want to pray right now that if you want to ask Jesus into your life and if you are a Christian, you've done that and you've lived for years, and you, I asked Jesus into my life, but he's there's no fruit. Let's pray. Let's recommit. Let's take this time now, this holy moment between you and the Lord. And it's not just going to be this moment. Let this be the start of when you said, I want to start living for Jesus. So just pray with me now. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are for me. And I'm sorry for where I've failed you and let you down. Today, I give you my shame, my sin, my guilt. And I thank you that you've paid the price for it already. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your favor. Thank you for all the blessings that are in my life. And I choose to now live for you and give glory to you for all of my days. Holy Spirit, come into my heart and my mind and make me new. From this day on, I choose to live for God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.